Good evening, everyone. We are once again in a new episode of Cyber Profits, prophesizing the future of IT. My name is Edgar, and I'm going to be your co-host today, together with our last interviewee, Jenjay Hasura. Jenjay. Yeah, hey there. I'm, I'm happy to be this time on the other side. And yeah, we got a cool person here as an interviewee today. So Edgar, can you tell, tell us more about Federico? Sure, sure. Today we're going to be interviewing the person who is normally our host. And this person has a lot of experience as a software developer. It's very professional in his career. He has more than 13 years of experience coding in the corporate world and also in his own personal projects. He has been working as a professional developer trying to apply all of these best practices, not only in the coding world, but also in his personal life. And recently he has been showing his skills in art because he recently published a book called Timeless Stories of El Salvador. You can check it out later in the description. And now let me introduce you to Federico. Federico, welcome to the show. Thank you, everyone. Um, this is a great experience to try to be on the other side of the equation. And let's see how it goes. <laughs> let's see. I, I know, I'm pretty sure we'll have a lot of fun today. Today, we're going to be speaking about a topic which is, to me, as a software developer, still quite new. And it is about local platforms. These are like some platforms that are supposed that you do not require but I'm, to be honest, I don't know much about that topic. So Federico, can you please first tell us what are these low-code platforms? I am pretty sure that you have at least once in your lifetime built your own application, your own website, but sometimes even more complex things like machine learning models, those fancy new things that are appearing in the market. But yeah, the first, the first thing that comes to your mind, I need a specialist, I need to pay a bunch of money, and a specialist would cost me over $100,000 or $200,000 per year, and this is where the low-code platforms come into play. Companies like Microsoft, OutSystems, Google, and many others decided, hey, we already know a lot of things about coding, and let's build some platforms, mostly web applications, there are some exceptions, but yeah, most of them are web applications that allow you to build your own mobile applications for Android, iOS, your own website. Maybe you have heard of Wix.com. I would say this is one of the most well-known low-code platform, but not, I would say, the, something that really empowers industries. But yeah, the low-code platforms empower any person who doesn't have any IT knowledge to develop their own application and in a couple of clicks, in a couple of drag and drops, they can develop their own app and publish it immediately to the App Store, to the Android Store, and literally go to production in less than a day. Okay, <clears throat> you mentioned something about machine learning, as you may know from the previous episode. I'm a huge fan of machine learning. And I'm, I'm kind of concerned about this um, machine learning drag and drop models. Are those actually a local solution or zero code? Because I have also heard a zero code term. So which one of those is actually this and what is the difference between those two types? You have both of them, but not in the same platform. In the case, in the case of machine learning, you have Google Cloud AutoML. This is a no code solution. It's not zero code. The, the, the term that we use is no code. That means is that I come with my, let's say Excel, CSV, my database from anything else it can be any kind of relational database. I bring it to Google Cloud, and then you choose certain algorithms because it's a no code. So I, I define certain patterns, certain characteristics, but I cannot influence. See, for example, the Google's algorithm doesn't support me, or it's not what I expect. For example, I want to detect lizards, but for any reason, the Google algorithm only can detect cats then you can only take cuts, so this is not the right platform for you. And this is no good because they restrict you to what Google wants, but 
honestly speaking, it's like Google is one of the greatest places in the market related to artificial intelligence and machine learning. I would be very, very surprised that you will find one topic that Google cannot manage it. One thing is that it's going to be extremely efficient, but, well, we're speaking that you're using the power of the Google servers, so it's not going to be like you're going to have a more efficient machine than theirs. And then you have the low-code platforms like Google, like Microsoft Azure. In, in Azure Machine Learning, you have two options. One is the real, like a coder. I'm going to type code in C Sharp or iPhone or anything, and I'm going to build my machine learning models. And then there is a low-code platform where I build a, how to call it, a flowchart, where I set the, where the data is coming from, which algorithm I'm going to use, if I need to split it, the data, if I need to process the information, if I need to create a cache in some place, if I need to store the information, and at the end, it's going to deliver you like a JSON or a, say a, something that in the technical world we call it a web service or an API, like people now call everything an API. In my times, it was a web service. So it delivers you that, and then you can immediately consume you, saving you a lot of time. So you have both options. The low code is, in my experience, only available in Microsoft Azure, where you can even build your own, let's say, libraries from Python, integrate something from Python, not only Python, you can have R2, but, it's, but those libraries, you need to adapt them to the Azure environment. And in the Google Cloud AutoML, it's zero code. There is, let's say, if something doesn't meet your requirements, it doesn't meet your requirements. There is nothing else can be done. It's, well, it, it seems quite impressive to me that such platforms already exist. And it seems that we are getting like very, very technical here. So before we get deep into this topic of the low-code platforms, I would like to hear more about your experience, Federico, about your personal experience with these kind of tools. So my first question will be, where did you hear for the first time about uh, low-code platforms? I, I will say that I didn't listen in, in the traditional way. As one of people who knows me better, I am a very uncommon developer who tests everything. And I consider myself as a lazy coder. That means I want to code as less as possible. I don't want to be fighting with random libraries. I don't want to be fighting with random bugs. If I can find something that makes my work easier, then I'm going to use it. And this is how I discovered the local platforms in the beginning when I discovered Azure Machine Learning Studio. I was in, in my work and someone told me, hey man, you want to learn about machine learning, but the issue is that you have no idea about the statistics about anything related to math. Right, you're right. That was like around four or five years ago. And then in my company, I started with this break of using Azure Machine Learning Studio that we provided some input of data that was like around 30 years of information. Then my colleague started to show me how he started to build the flowchart, chose certain algorithms like the Black Forest or other, other algorithms. This he started to build the machine learning model. He was testing, 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 because we didn't have a specific timeline. He, for around three months, he was building the right algorithm, building the flowchart. Then, a year later, I moved to a new area. In the organization where I'm currently working, everything is about automation. It's, everything is about automation. They don't evaluate me if my code is 150% more efficient. They don't really care if this is going to take three seconds. If this is not bringing any savings or revenues for my companies, like, who cares? For them, the most important is how many savings, how many FTEs are you saving? An FTE is a full-time employee. Or this is the specific KPI that evaluates me. A year later, it came a new solution called Automation Anywhere. Automation Anywhere is an application that allows you to emulate whatever you do in the computer. Literally, if you have a flowchart that you start in one point and you finish in one point, and this is going to send emails, register information in a website, get data from eBay, Amazon, anything. You can literally just drag and drop and start creating the, the connections. 
you don't need to code. If you're a regular coder, the first thing that will come to your mind is, well, I need to access to a specific API in, in, in Windows Forms or in Python or anything like that. And in fact, you can do it. But with Automation Anywhere, I have something called object cloning. Object cloning will come. I, I give an option like, okay, I want to access to the button that is in the form of Facebook. So I this has a recorder, the recorder goes to Facebook. I took the I do click in the button and voila, I get the code. I didn't need to write any any line of code, and immediately I have the solution. So more or less in the last three or four years, I have learned more about them. But it was not the first time that I heard about it. Generally, if you have ever seen, like I, I can consider the first low-code platform is WordPress, this tool has been for over 10 years in the market. And it's the same case with the RPAs. The first RPA was Blueprint that appeared, if I'm not wrong, around 2003 or 2001 with, in the United Kingdom. So none of these solutions is, is such so new. They are mainly known in the enterprise. An RPA is a, in in the current environment, they call them like cybernetic cybernetic robots. So they are like generally when a human thinks in a robot, you will think in an ASIMO, in a huge machine that is gonna replace you, the one that is gonna start typing in the computers, but really that's a really expensive machine. An RPA is like a small application that can do, can do everything that I say that is going to type in the, in the keyboard, it's going to open Excel, Word, create a presentation by itself, send everything to the owner or to the provider or to whoever you want, and does it everything by, by itself without any human interaction. There are other kind of RPAs that allows human interaction because there are some cases like when you have a how to call it, we call them hard tokens, that is like a device where you get a, like a sec, uh, like the total authentication, this is mostly related to banks, so when you have a uh, like second authentication, then some of them you have like hard tokens to prevent that people access badly this information, so you need to yeah. type it. And in this yeah. case, you use the second kind of RPAs, but most of organizations do not want them because they are more expensive to support. So, so would you say that an RPA is a low-code platform? It is. It is. Okay. It is. okay. And, and I heard you also mentioned a very interesting tool. I think its name was Automation Anywhere. Okay. So uh, have you used any other, any other tools? out there for the for the usage of uh, low-code platforms? Yes, I, I have used two more. The second one is UiPath, that is another like another robotic process automation tool. And more recently, I started to work with someone called Celonis, that is for process mining. Process mining is a very specific sector that you need to have domain knowledge, let's say finance, procurement, medicine, pharmaceutic, pharmaceutics, anything. What those alone is, is that it connects with any database that you have from any tool that you have, SAP, SQL, NoSQL, anything, really. It can connect, and not only one source, it can connect 20, 30, 50 sources. And what it does is that analyze all processes because they have their own DNA that as an identifier, that is the action, the time, time, and certain things, and it creates you all the like these are the most recurrent steps and it builds you an entire flowchart like this is the most common the most common path that people follow or these are the most common actions that the people do or you want to analyze some exceptions for example when you do a currency exchange what happens so Salonis is capable of giving you all those steps and help you optimize every single process and this is another local well i could consider Salonis as a no code platform until now I, in theory, it's a low-code platform, but I haven't reached the point where I can, let's say, modify it. Maybe in the next one or two months, I will know how, how far I can go, but Salonis is really, you can connect with whatever database that you can imagine and give you a process. Ah, yeah, recently I discovered that, in fact, it's a, no, I wouldn't consider it as a low-code until this moment. I was thinking of something else that I discovered in the tool, but I wouldn't consider it. It's still, for me, it's still no-code. 
Actually, as a backend developer, like mostly backend dev developer, uh, I'm the person who doesn't like too much to work with front end part. So probably I would be looking for some local solutions for for the front end part. How how can I actually develop the front end part with the least investment of time? Because the typical uh, approach that I take right now is I just search for some uh, sample front ends on the internet and copy paste those and modify at my will. So probably you got some some better ideas uh, how to how to deal with this this problem. Yeah, I can recommend you two tools. One for me, the best one is called Out Systems. When you're building apps, Out System is the number one in the market, and they have like almost everything that you have hoped in mind. There are couple of things that you need to consider when you're working with local platforms, they are mainly enterprise solutions. They are thinking organizations, but you can use it. There is no that restriction. It's just that sometimes when you're a coder, you might have that feeling that I don't have that full control of what I'm doing. So that's something that you need to keep in mind. That's why they're, you, they're full for enterprises. Or yeah, the, the first one is out systems. I will say that out systems is not only the core of the application. They are it's so powerful that it really builds native applications. It's not that you embed the, a website into a into an app. It's an extremely powerful solution that that builds apps. The second one that you can consider is Mendix. Mendix, I will say it's fine. Uh, it's a still, you can do the same, you will get the apps, but since they are like, the, the, in any statistics, there is a significant difference between the, the two players. And the new player that is starting in the market, and I will say one of them, one that might become extremely powerful in the near future is Microsoft Power Apps. And that's the main reason, it's backed by a large organization as Microsoft. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not built on a startup, they already have Xamarin, they already have Blazor, they already have many, many solutions that are multi-platform. So you can be sure that over the next three or four years, I believe that Microsoft Power Apps is gonna take like a massive advantage. And any organization that has access to Office 365 is already in the package, so I don't need to do any extra payment. Of course, if I want additional features, new connectors, new other things, yeah, you need to do an extra payment, but if you access to your Office 365 account, you go to the ellipses and Power Apps is there. So, uh, Federico, we are listening right now to many names. You're giving us many names of the tools that we can use, such as Mandix, Microsoft Power Apps, Salonis, etc. And I'm pretty sure our audience can benefit from the use of them. And just to follow up with the topic, we have talked about the front end. But I would like to know if these low-code platforms can go beyond just the UI and can be used, for instance, for uh, the management of a database or for some backend transactions. Is that also possible as well? Mm, I'm, I'm honest with this topic, but we already have UIs for managing databases. This is like a very surprising question because we have like SQL Server Management Studio that surely you can manage everything like in an UI without going to deep codes. You can do the same with MySQL, like I forgot the tool from MySQL, but I think that this, this tool have been in the market for around like seven to ten, eight years. MySQL Workbench is, is one of the most crazier tools I have ever used. And, and, I, and I started to use this tool like eight years ago that you can create a, like literally the entire database visually without going into create table or those things. You can do everything from there, manage the database. You can already create queries, but I don't see this like, um, like something so new, at least for me. I, as I said, I'm a lazy coder. You are not gonna see me using a console. The console is not my best friend. I am tend to avoid it as much as I can, but those tools have been in the market for a pretty long time because as humans, 
let's be honest, we move away from the console many, many years ago. And if we think carefully in one of the topics about local, everything goes in this direction. The cloud, in a certain way, can be considered as a local tool too. Why? Because we're not managing the servers anymore. We're not controlling how much RAM is consuming. We're not dealing with like how much CPU is consuming the new, let's say, new functions from Azure. We want just to release it to the, to the server and the server should do everything on its own. So think it carefully. Local is becoming more and more prevalent because even the coders want to code less and they don't want to go to deal with the servers. I'm, I'm kind of curious because, uh, you know, on one hand, um, going out from the code can be, let's say, simplification for the developer. On the other hand, it actually is something that limits your possibilities, uh, limits your ways to customize things. So is it actually a good direction to go away from these possibilities to customize the product that you are using? Uh, to solutions which are actually giving you full service. However, the service can sometimes be not sufficient for the use. And what are your thoughts and experience on, on this topic? I will say there are two, there are, there are like two mindsets, I will say. One mindset that I need to highlight, as I said in the beginning, the, these solutions are for the enterprise. They are not thinking general people like general coders who love to code, who love to open Eclipse, Visual Studio, and start coding. No. The local platforms are thought in organizations. Like, let's suppose that you work for Coca-Cola. What is the core business of Coca-Cola? Sell you as much Coke as possible. The main core business is not to build code that analyzes your trends, why you like Coke, why you like water, why you don't like Panta. That's not their core business. Yeah, they build those models because they need to analyze where the market is going. But in the long term, is their business is always related about selling Coke. In, in the end, it's not related to coding. And this is where most of coders sometimes forget that part, that if you're not working in an organization that builds the apps, that builds the software, that builds the solutions, that's not their core business. And the majority of the businesses in the world are not IT related. If you go to a farm, the farm needs to produce food to sell to the shops. A shop focused on, uh, let's say a grocery shop, focus on what? On building, let's say giving you food or water or selling you something else. If I go to a gym, it's a similar story. I rent my machines so people can use them. So from this perspective, these organizations can, instead of hiring a very expensive coder or a very expensive software developer, I can just, I am the domain expert. I can build my own app. I don't need that my app is the most beautiful one, the most the excellent in, the, in, the, in every sense. I just need that, an app that can be for registered payments for my company and that I receive the money from the gym membership and that's pretty much all. If the UI is great or not, well, I think the gym guys, they enjoy to lift weights or use my bicycles or have my trainees, but they don't really care about the, if the UI is cool. And that's one of the sides. The local platforms empower people to build these apps. Second, the second case, when you're working with like robotic process automation and use um, these kind of applications, they are focused on minimizing your work. So they want that you reduce all those repetitive tasks in as, as fast as you can. So you can get the revenue like, okay, I releasing five days tomorrow. So this means like, let me say 20,000 like swatis around $5,000 less per month. So how much this is, how much am I saving? But if I'm going to code the same application, it will take me like seven, eight months. Yeah, it will be more efficient. But uh, to build the RPA will take me three to six weeks in average. And if I want to optimize the process, like to, to analyze like how long, what is, now I have the RPA. Now I want to optimize it and reduce more cost. Okay, how am I going to do it? 
then Salonis comes into play and gives you, okay, this is the path, these are the steps that you need to reduce or maybe build a second RPA. But if I'm going to hire someone to do all those steps, it will take you more money. So the local platforms is like a real trend that they are integrated in many, many fields. They are becoming specialized in one area. For example, the RPAs are only RPAs. Let's say the app builders are only app builders. The process mining apps are only process mining apps. They're really specialists in their area, but they can be integrated among multiple tools. And the second area, when you think about customizing on those things, I believe that this is a great idea when you rely that the people can use the app, that you rely that the people enjoy the application. And the most important is the user experience. But as I said, the low code are not only about building nice UIs. The, the RPAs, you don't really care about the, the UI. As in Salonis, Salonis is backend. And Google AutoML is backend again. Mm-hmm. You only care that it delivers you the right answer to your inquiry. Not exactly if the UI is the best idea. Okay, I'm very interested in these uh, backend solutions because I think that as a backend developer, I could benefit from them as well. Uh, but as as we mentioned during my interview, I'm using all the time like different data structures and different algorithms. We mentioned, for instance, the uh, breadth first search algorithm and this kind of complex uh, things. So I would like to ask you, Federico, how do low-code platforms deal with the complexity of an application? Like how complex can be these applications? Can you apply like data structures or algorithms in them as well? Mm. Keep in mind that they are focused on a specific sectors. Like for example, if you're speaking about machine learning, like in the case of Google AutoML or Azure Machine Learning Studio, you have to have those complex algorithms. That's machine learning. Machine mm-hmm. learning is not just a, like I'm going to use a data structure that goes around a loop. No, they really need to apply a lot of statistics. And since I can load my own algorithms to the, to the solution, so yeah, they, they deal with those cases. What happens with the low-code platforms is that you need to remember they are specialized on one field. It's not that like, like I'm a Java developer, but at the same time I can build an Android app and I can build a website. Even if I usually use Angular instead of JSP, you can still do it. But the locals are specific sectors like machine learning, process mining, web apps, mobile apps. So if you are in the right tool, then you can implement it. And if the provider allows you. However, they are for specific fields. Like I, I could say that in UiPath, if I want to build like my own library that implements one of those, let's say, complex algorithms like the bread first or something like that, I can build it. Why? Because uh, UiPath has access to something that only the Microsoft guys will know called the Nugget. So I can implement any library that's available in the Nugget in any RPA that is building UiPath. So that's accessible. However, remember the case of the the, the case of the RPAs is a repetitive task. If I don't need that algorithm to do something like that, then I could delegate that to a machine learning tool or something else. Because the RPA has like go to the top to the to the bottom, and it needs to have a cycle. And at the end of the cycle, it needs to start again and again. And, and that's the point of the RPA. It needs to carry on. A repetitive task. It's not for like I have different paths and I follow thousands of solutions. Yeah, it can have that, but it's not the purpose of the application. Okay, I think I kind of like imagine those local solutions like a kind of accessible web services uh, using u- user interface. Um, so, for example, as you mentioned, even even AWS can be thought as a local solution. Um, so I'm kind of curious what are approaches to, to testing those those solutions. How can I actually test if my uh, my code is working correctly and um, in this way also build some a test set to protect myself from regression with future changes? Mm, can you, let's say, go in depth? What do you mean in the testing area? 
yeah, yeah. Because, for example, uh, I'm thinking that I can pretty much develop a full application using low-code or no-code no, no solution. In this way, uh, I'm, I finish my job having, let's say, a full product, for example, of a shop which, which has some UI, has some items in the shop, and you can you can buy some items. Yeah. So in this case, if I, if I have a local solution, uh, how can I actually make tests on that to see if everything that I want is happening in real in this application? Let's suppose that you're building something in out systems. You can build pretty quickly an MVP because in the end, the tool that delivers you an APK or an APP and you upload to the Windows to the sorry to the Google Play or to the App Store. So then in the Google Play and the App Store, since these are the official places where you should download the apps, you can download it from of course from somewhere else and jailbreak your phone, but this is not the right way to go. Then you can test it. But this mostly relies that you need to have the, the accounts because Google Play you have a beta environment, an alpha environment, and the same happens in the app store. So that's something I would say that is not exactly under control, you need to deliver it to a third person, because they are the testers in the end. Uh, so there's no such thing as an automated testing, or let's say like last unit testing, as we have it in, in normal software development. Not really, I, I wouldn't say so. It's, and it will depend on the, on the sector, because low code is a very broad term. If we focus only on app development, there will be certain rules that do not apply to the machine learning development. They are completely different because, as I said, they are spe specialized on one specific area. And if we are speaking about the RPAs, in my experience, would be extremely tough, if not nearly impossible, to implement unit testing. I'm not saying that it's impossible. But because they are like flow charts, it will be extremely hard in that sense to implement it. Mm -hmm. and, they are, and, and these applications can be built, let's say, even by a person who is not like really educated. Let's say if your secretary has access to Office 365, she can build an app. It mm -hmm. doesn't need to be a coder that wants to build it. What happens if the manager wants to build an app? Well, he just access to his account and he build it. So you can be sure that none of these people will think on unit testing because they have no idea what is this topic. And since they are focused on the enterprise and that they should be developed as quick as possible, I don't think that none of us will go to the manager and say, hey, guy, you're not using uh, unit testing. You need to implement it. Your manager will only look at you and say, what is that? And I have other things to do. Maybe you should do it. On the other hand, Federico, that brings the possibility of having defectful software in production. And as this secretary doesn't know anything about software development, there might be a lot of bugs in the software or like in, in the final solution, you know, my, there might be she forgot about one step or uh, the calculation is having some issues. So how will you avoid this kind of situation if there's no such thing as unit testing? One of the things that, that when you use a local platform is that in this one unit, it's not exactly like you can work in certain agile way, but in, in this area, you need to have mostly a domain expertise. And it's not that, let's suppose that someone who is like, generally when you build a, Let's say something for a pharmacy or a bank and they delegate this, this code to a software developer and we give them a lot of guidance that how he needs to understand the business. In the local platforms, generally are the domain experts the one who tends to use them. I have even a conversation about one of these areas when I was starting to learn about Salonis because it was a pretty hard topic to understand because everything in the examples were about procurement. I have never worked in procurement, so it was pretty tough to understand. So I spoke with a friend who works in this area, and she told me, man, the thing is that about low code and specifically about Salonis and process mining is that you need to have domain expertise. 
And if you don't have that domain expertise, then you're going to face all the questions that you are asking because you need to understand about procurement, you need to understand everything like this. So if, if, do I think that the manager of these guys can make a mistake in production? Yeah, it, it can happen. But at the same time, it's less probable because they are the domain experts. If there is a person who understands mostly about the calculations or anything related to certain area, it's a domain expert. But as I said again, it depends on the local that you want to deal. Is it an app? Is it an RPA? Is it a, is it a machine learning model? It, it, you need to be very precise in which one because all of them follow completely different rules. And since they are from specific providers, if there is a bug in, let's say, an out system, that bug not necessarily happens in Microsoft Power Apps because they are completely independent organizations. Okay, that's, I think, a kind of a good approach because I think, as you mentioned, the machine learning is, it's kind of, it's kind of even harder to think about the testing of those solutions because typically you work at the monitoring level when you, when you think about those solutions. I think that from the interview that, that we are having, that the very huge benefit of those applications is actually the speed of development. And actually, I think that also touches some early validations with customer. So is it right to think that those those solutions have a very huge strength when it comes to building MVP and prototypes? Yes. Let's suppose that, let's when you speak about MVP, let's take a mobile app. Let's not focus on the others because the others are different, but let's say I want to build a mobile app for a shop like as you said, let's suppose a small uh, a grocery store that was open in the city and, she, and these guys didn't have a mobile app. They had their own database because, well, they required to have the, to manage the products and everything, but they didn't have a mobile app. They can go to out systems, connect their database, and they can build an MVP even in the same day. I'm not saying that it's going to be the best solution that's going to follow all the patterns and everything related, but you can have a mobile app in the same day that is testable and some people can upload it and even install it. If you have the, the place where you are gonna store it, then you can do it. The same will happen with the machine learning model, but that one we know, we need test, we need enough data, we need to have test data. So it might take a little bit more, but it can take a very short period of time. And the same will happen with an RPA. The process to automate the process with an RPA, and let's suppose that you have the right documentation, you don't have many exceptions. Let's suppose that a good business case will take you between three to six weeks to have a full solution. And if you build it from scratch, I saw someone who did it in Python and it took around seven months. The same solution from three to six weeks to seven months. Of course, the solution in Python was way more efficient. It was extremely fast in comparison. It was from another another world, let's, let's call it in that way. But if I compare this seven months versus three to six months, I will say the client will be happy with the other solution even if it's not as efficient as the other. Well, from, okay. I, I can see the... Yeah, let me go with one follow-up question with that, because um, I know that you are taking uh, part a lot of in, uh, in different uh, contests like hackathons, and I'm curious how actually uh, applicable are those local solutions in terms of hackathons? How often are they used uh, in those type of solutions in which the time is, is very restricted to, to build it up? I'm, I'm honest, but really in the hackathons, I don't think that most of coders use them because they are coders. And the first thing that we'll see is scalable, extremely efficient. I want to have the, the, the best algorithms. I want to use certain things. None of them will think outside that box that I want to write the best code and with the nicest UI and none of them thinks in that way. 
And I think that if I was in those shoes like seven years ago, I would be on the same because I didn't have no clue about these solutions. But now, if I was in those shoes, what I would do is like, well, we need some part that is back and so delegate that part to the back end. And then if we really want to win, the best idea is to do some out system solutions or something like that. If you don't need something very precise, like let's suppose that you need a specific camera algorithm that identifies certain specific movements, behaviors, or something like that, why would you bother with that? Like, really, it's like, uh, I, 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 as, a, as a coder, I know that like seven years ago, that was my first thing. My first thought would be, I, I, I need to code it. And, but this is not only me, it's like generally coders will think in that way. You need to think a little bit outside your box to think, well, this solution can work. And in a hackathon, you need to have a vision. I want to win. And if you don't have that vision, but you have the vision of coding, then there will be a conflict of interest. I, I have now also a follow-up question. And it's quite related to what Jenji just mentioned. He mentioned the topic about hackathons, which can be a use case of where local platforms can be very beneficial. I was thinking more on the business side with startups. Startups need to get a prototype, an MVP to the market as soon as possible and start getting feedback in order to improve it. So this comes to me like a very, very specific um, very uh, beneficial point of the use of low-code platforms. So my question is, Federico, do you know of any other uh, use cases or any other specific cases in which the use of low-code platforms can bring a lot of benefit? Yeah, I, I know one um, I, I know one case, but it's not from a startup. It's from Hershey's. Hershey's? Yeah. Long ago, they wanted to test, uh, say, a new product that they wanted and they did all the analysis from machine learning without a single data scientist. No data scientist. They only build the rules in National Machine Learning Studio. They always lo lo loaded the considerable data that Purchase has for their well, yeah. significant years, and that's how they release their new product. No single data scientist in, into the place. And this is a real case scenario that you can find more information in the Microsoft website. So this is the power of local platforms. And local platforms are not used only for small organizations. It's like if you go to, let's say, LinkedIn and type the word Pega, they were automation anywhere, then they were out systems, power apps, and Mendix, and those things. You will find those job offers. I have a friend who works in a, in a tool called Pega. That's a completely different, let's say, specialized area. And Almost daily, he gets new offers in that in that thing. And why? Because a few people likes to learn about low code. It's like mostly I'm a coder, so I want to code. So I don't want to use those tools. And my friend finished there because he's he's not a natural coder. He he used to work as in as in procurement. Then he got an offer in IT. He learned about coding. Then they specialized him in Pega. He didn't want, but in the end he didn't have a choice, he, he didn't have his previous job, and then he became a specialist in that field. But there is one thing that, there is only one reason why I think that the startups are not so open to use local, but this is my personal opinion, mm -hmm. and is that even though you have some free options, they might not fit your needs, because it's like everything. If you want to go to the free option, you will have a lot of restrictions. And if you want the real option, you need to pay a monthly fee. And this is why I think that the startups are like more like, I want to code because when I code, I don't need to pay. But if I'm thinking on the, like as a business person, the person who is coding, if, if it was not coding for free, it will be more expensive than using the local tool. It's mostly that I have a friend who is the coder, but if I didn't have that friend and I have a normal startup, then the low code will reduce a lot of money. But my belief is mostly that you need to have a fee 
and it depends on the tour you might pay between $15 to a maximum of 40 to 60 for a small startup per month. It depends on the tools because because if you want to combine machine learning and other tools then you will need to pay more. That's interesting. I think that I would ask about something something more about those uh, those prices and actually the pricing of the solutions. Uh, what are the use cases in which it is beneficial actually to use it uh, to let's say the reduce the price of, of the development and the maintenance of some solution and in what circumstances we should actually avoid using those um, yeah and just just go with normal development let's suppose that i i need like i have an internal organization that needs to create a lot of forms to collect information yeah you might say google forms is an option yeah organizations involve privacy and Google Forms is like you're exposing your data to a third-party organization that you don't know what they are doing with it. So you have access to Microsoft Power Apps. You can build all the app, the app, the form, the collection. Let's suppose, let's build a real business case. I, I work for a factory. In the factory, I need to track all the actions. I need to go, let's say, with my device, and I need to analyze what is happening. If there is a leaking, if there is something not working, and if there is information that I need to collect manually, because not always we have IoT devices in a factory. Sometimes you cannot for privacy reasons. So what I do is like my organization, let's say, is going to build an app that is going to help the auditor to collect all the information by himself. So the auditor will come and start collecting the data. And this is a business case that you can use it for a small app. Let's say that you want to do an analysis of data, in the case for using a machine learning tool. Let's say you want to identify when the when you have the peaks of the of the cell sensor in your organization. Maybe you identify that during the summer there are there is a there is a huge drop, and then you identify that it's the same trend in different organizations that everyone drops. The, the sales, so you can build a new business case that instead of allowing your, your employees to be lazy, you can push them to work faster and during those months to get money that the other organizations are losing too. And since this is like you have the data, you don't need to, let's say, do a huge investment to, to do this. The, I'm sure that the case that I gave you, even the no-code solution from Google AutoML can do it. Now, when you when these tools are not a good idea, I would say when you have like two innovative idea like Tinder was in its days. I the Tinder was as we know that application that you swipe left, right pictures and getting the data. I don't believe that these tools are designed in that way, where there is a very specific UI, a very specific use business case. And Tinder is the best example for me that comes to my mind. There was nothing like that in, in, in its times, and it would be pretty hard to do it even with the current tools because they aren't exactly thinking that way. Yeah, you will be able to do the, the buttons to reject and to like, but you will not be able to do the swipes. That's something that I don't think that it would be possible because it's too specific. But how did you know that is mostly about speaking with the client and understanding the needs. And it's something that you will understand on the way. But I would say it's when you have a very, very custom solution, when, when there is high efficiency, high proficiency, high, like, that everything needs to be extremely fast, then low code might not be the best solution. Mm -hmm. Okay, Federico. Uh, I have also a question regarding licensing you mentioned before that some of the some of the platforms have some features for free but if you want the whole set of features you have to pay and you also mentioned that it might be even cheaper to have these uh, local platforms rather than a software developer team so my question would be like, uh, can you tell us how, how do payment works with these local platforms? Uh, let's, let's take an example that I, I have like 
real prices, or at least for the last couple of months. Maybe they increase in these days, but from what I know, Microsoft Power Apps is around $15 per month. And I can develop mm -hmm. as many apps as I want, unlimited apps, unlimited. Unlimited. And I have access to everything, like the SQL servers, Office 365, everything, literally. So I can connect with SharePoint, with Machine Machine Learning Studio, I can build an API, integrate it, and I just pay the fee of $15 to build the apps. So if I make a small calculation, it's like it's 150, 160, 65, 100, like 180 per year, something like that. Around 180, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I hire a coder and my organization is not a coding organization like that needs to deliver high efficiency, high coding, high solutions, like the peak of the of the performance, a regular coder will cost me around, let's suppose that you're not working in the US for like between 40 and 60,000 euros per year. So if I compare $180 from, an from a solution provided by Microsoft, that, I, that maybe it's not going to be the fastest and the best solution, but it's Microsoft versus the $60,000 is a massive difference and a massive saving for an organization. Even if I outsource the service, it's still a lot of money that I'm saving. And let's suppose the machine learning case, it will cost you more or less the same, let's say, let's add them 220 bucks extra. In the machine learning case, you will still need the platform where you are going to run the machine learning model. You cannot run it on your own server. You still need to pay electricity, server, CPU, GPU, whatever. You still need something worth running. So this is a cost. Mm -hmm. Let's suppose that this mm -hmm. fixed, fixed cost will be around $100 per, per year. I still think it's too cheap, but let's, let's say that is the cost. The machine learning specialist will be way more expensive than the regular coder. Way more expensive. Why? Because, because he's a specialist in one area that everyone wants to mark, enter in that, in that area where they were yeah. really to have good, good developers in that field is not cheap. And especially that there are not a lot of business cases from my experience. So you need to find a person who will cost you maybe at least $125,000 per year. Or let's say bring it to euros around 100,000 euros per year. So it's still a lot of more money. Okay, I think that I would like to touch something that I think it, it was even mentioned in a previous channel. And yeah, I was the person who was interviewed on, the, on this topic. Um, so how actually does uh, the locals go with, with the agile methodology? Is it a way to go because of the speed or should it be, let's say, limited because of the customization capabilities? What are your thoughts about it? Because I'm kind of curious about it. Let's say from the Agile perspective, it's way more faster because you can build an MVP even daily. So it's not like I need to have a sprint of two weeks if I have a move. It can be even daily. If I have the right the right things, even daily I can show to the client, okay, you don't like this, okay, let's remove it. Garbage. Throw it to the garbage bin. So it can be even daily to release something. Yeah, but if there is a customization, here comes a very difficult point if the solution is a no-code. If it's no-code, it's no-code. So there is no custom features. And if it's low-code, it will depend on what you want. Some customizations, like the one that I said about swiping left or right in Tinder, you might need to even get in contact with the provider in such a case. And you might need to pay to the provider extra if you want that feature. So it will depend on how much custom it needs to be, how much specific is the field. So if it's in the case of machine learning, I would say you are more open since you can combine them in some cases, like no code and, and coding, but it will depend on the, on the solution. In some cases it will be like that, that joke of, 
let's say, of adding a custom button will take you like, it can take you like one month or even more. And in, in such a scenario can be, can kill the entire Agile project. So my advice, if you really need something very, very custom, do it until the end. If it's not something that is extremely required, that is something that, that is like the main core business, like the swipe left and right or left, as I said, from Tinder, you still can do it with the bottoms. So you can still have the, the, the business case to test. If not, I, I will deliver it until the end because it can take you really long time, really long time. I think that those are kind of interesting technologies. And I'm kind of curious about the community around those technologies nowadays. Yeah. So suppose I'm, I'm thinking about using one of the local solutions for my prototypes in the future. But on the other hand, I also would like to go with something that maybe will, will have the customization I want. Yeah. So how, how wide is the community and how accurate information can I get actually about such, such type of topics? In my experience, if you're going to use a local platform, I will go to the top in the market. I will be very careful to go to a startup or to go even to, a, to an open source solution with the exception of WordPress. Because WordPress is the, I would say, the biggest exception in this play, in this market. But yeah. I wouldn't, let's say, if you're going to the RPAs, I will go strictly automation anywhere, UiPath, Microsoft Power Apps, or Blueprint. I wouldn't think it too much if I in, in other tools because the let's say the communities will be almost non-existent or will you will have no documentation. So I wouldn't touch them. And if you're going to build apps, Mendix or Alt systems, and I wouldn't even touch the others. Because of the same thing, it's like I can give you an example of going to the open source, and it wasn't the case with an RPA. Uh, it was impossible to do anything. Literally, it was like we needed to automate a simple application. It was a Windows application built on a specific technology called Windows Windows uh, Presentation Foundation. That is like one of the most common <laughs> solutions in, dot, in the .NET world. No support at all. No support. Mm. And then you can discard every almost every application that does a magical ribbon from Office is incompatible. So the, the the solution was not capable of emulating it, of clicking it, and then you need to rely on like tricks or workarounds called let's say uh, let's say click image or thing like that. I don't remember the, the name that they were using, but image recognition is like the proper name. It's it was a nightmare. So. I wouldn't use it. So if you're going to rely on low code, I will check the, the number of ones that almost that you get in Google, not at the ads, but the, the, the solutions, and I will go to those ones. Or I will confirm them with other statistics or something that gives you an input. But low code, as you said, the communities might not be very, very large, mm -hmm. but there are two things. If you go to the appropriate organizations, they will give you answers. And since you are paying, they will give you the answer. And the community, they then you tend to have answers. I can say something about automation anywhere in my experience. If I raise a ticket, I got an answer. It was never an exception. And I even had calls with the top managers from the organization. Why? Because my organization is paying a lot of money from the, for the tool. So you can reach even these people because they you are paying. If, of course, if you go to the free versions, you might need to go to the community, but the communities are pretty active in my experience. However, they are not in a stack overflow. They have, again, specialized forums that only for UiPath, only for something like that. If you ask them in a stack overflow, my experience is you will not get an answer. So, Federico, uh, it seems to me that this interview has been very extensive. We have touched upon several topics, such as the name of the platforms, licensing, how do, how can you perform testing, what are the main use cases for the local platforms, and even about the size of the community that is out there using local platforms already. But now, 
it has come the time to prophesize, Federico. That's what we're here for. So can you please tell us, like, how do you see the future of the low-code platforms? Do you think that they will gain ground in the future or, like, they are just, like, some sort of bubble that will eventually disappear? What are your thoughts on this topic? In my personal belief, they are going to eat the market. Eat the market. Yeah. And then you're going to have, like, two parallel wars in the IT environment especially in the non-IT companies. You're going to have the, like, let's say, the real coders, the person who are handling databases, the backend, the APIs, the extremely efficient parts, mm -hmm. and then you will have the domain experts, the ones who are going to build the apps over those APIs, over those solutions. And those people are not, not necessarily going to be software developers, Specialists in those fields. If they have access to Office 365 that a lot of organizations have, I would say that even if you need to choose between Office 365 and the good G Suite, most of organizations has Office 365. So, and since this is an essential part of Office 365, everyone in the organization has access to it. From the secretary to the manager, even the security guard, if the security guard has access to it, so that person can code it, build the, his own app for the security guards. And since there is not an extra licensing cost, so it's already there. So that they are gonna eat a lot of the market, yeah. However, there is one thing that I see like, that is gonna be very important to, to deal in the future, governance. Right now you have things like Medial version four, those things that can control the organization in the coding environment. But now you will have like two kind of coders. The real coders, like all of us, and the operation coders, that are the people who doesn't have a real background in software development, that they are the domain experts, the domain specialists, but that they are out of that area. So it will be very difficult to handle specifically these projects because they are not going to necessarily follow the patterns since they are not necessarily available. And this can create a curious environment. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I think about one question more about the future. Uh, will actually it be more low code or more zero code? What do you think? Which of those those fields will, will be the more seen in the future? Mm, I will say that for the next five to ten years, it will be low code. But from the next ten to twenty years, it's then no code will start playing a, a bigger role. And why? Because first we need to build the ground. We need to build enough capabilities in enough APIs, enough solutions to reach the no-code part. I don't think that we are on that path still. I, I consider the next decade or the next two decades until we reach that point. But yeah, I believe that in the long term, no-code will be the, the major player. I am really surprised by your answer i have to say and i'm getting worried now federico because as a software developer that this seems that this might also affect my job and you mentioned something very important and this is probably going to be my last question federico about the future of low-code platforms you mentioned that they are going to eat the market so my question is do you think that low-code platforms can, at some point in the future, fully replace a software development department within a company? Uh, as I explained many times, it depends on the organization that you are working. If you are working in the organization that is building the tools, well, of course, no, because <laughs> still you need soft, real software developers that build the ground, that build the new control, that build the new swipe, the new 
virtual reality. If you are in the innovative sector, like in the first in the areas that really needs that empowerment, the solutions, the innovation, where the, the real magic happens, you know, if you will not expose to anything else. But if you are in the area that, let's say that, like I would say in an organization that doesn't really rely on coders, but their main revenue comes from somewhere else, then if you are in the back end, I would say you are less exposed, but it's something that I can outsource somewhere else. But even when you outsource, many times organizations bring it back. So from the back end perspective, I see it not very likely. But from the front end perspective, from the automation perspective, or from the even from these two areas that are, I would say, the main where the coders are involved, I would say you can be exposed. Mm -hmm. What is my advice? You need to reskill, identify one area, and start learning about those tools. If you're a front end, hey, why don't you learn about out systems today? Don't don't wait until like 10, 15 years that out system can come and eat your place. No, you need to be smarter. You need to still know how to code, how to be the very best in what you're doing. But to learn a little bit from the no-code part of the low-code platforms, it's still good, man. Really, you have you need to always have a backup plan. If the plan A fails because for whatever reason happens, I still have some experience with no code. And if you said, well, but in my organization, no one wants to pay for out systems. Go to Upwork, man. Start offering your services, even if it's for very low fees, and get experience with the tools. This will be the way. So at the end, it's like, okay, maybe I need to do a chip because low code is eating the market. But I already have some experience with no, with no code. So I can chip. And I ignore the other area. I still already build the skills that I needed, maybe for very low prices, but I already got something that I already have a portfolio of clients that are like, yes, this guy, this guy knows how to use low code or no code. So you have heard it, folks. It's time to start learning a new technology, a new loud code or zero code platform. That's everything for today. Thank you very much, Federico, for enlightening us on this very wide topic of the low-code platforms. Would you like to say some last words for the audience? Reskill today. <laughs> Thank you very much, Federico. And thanks again to my co-host, JJ, also for co-hosting the show. JJ? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We're Cyber Prophets prophesizing the future of IT. Until next time.